0: I would say what for me makes a good sci fi movie is when the technology is wet. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello friends and fans and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers. Today we're talking about sci-fi films and I am astronomically glad to be joined by Kathy, Johnny, and Tom. As always, we shall introduce ourselves alphabetically. So, Kathy, what are your pronouns
2: and what do you do? Hello, I'm Kathy Ronella, she, her, and I am an audio master at Rusty Quill. And, Johnny, what are your pronouns
1: and what do you do?
0: Hi, I'm uh, Johnny, he, him. You will probably know me most from the Magnus Archives, and I do... Other things.
1: Mysterious things. Watch. <laughs> let me watch sci-fi movies sometimes. <laughs> and Tom, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, I'm Tom
3: Crowley. I'm a he, him, and I do writing, acting and comedy in various media. People listening to this will probably know me best from uh, Wooden Overcoats, which I act in and write for. Uh, I'm also in Victoriosity, the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, and I do my own solo sketch and character comedy podcast called Crowley Time, which is the one thing that I implore everyone listening to this to go and listen to, because it's the least well listened to of all the things I've mentioned. Oh. And it takes me hours.
1: (laughs) But people seem to like it,
3: so I'm happy enough. But anyway, thank you. Yes, that's me.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about sci-fi films, and I'm interested to know what people think a film should have... Or what kind of story it should be telling in order to be considered science fiction?
3: There's a bunch of answers to this, aren't there?
1: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's why I asked it.
3: And I think they change depending on like how pedantic you are. Because <laughs> I think technically science fiction is meant to be a vision of a future or alternate present where one particular scientific deviation or development has pushed society in a certain direction. And if it's just like stuff in space, it's space fantasy. And if it's the same as science fiction but there's no scientific element, it's just speculative fiction, I think.
1: Uh. I
0: think for me, like, I mean, it's genre questions are always, like... Boring. Complicated uh. <laughs> and, like,
1: oh, I love that. This is, no, 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 Tom is happy to call me out on my own podcast. Boring. First time that we've met each no, other. It's, it's fine. It's not.
3: The question, asking the questions are very interesting.
0: I have a very personal sort of way I think about, like, what is genre and what is setting, which weirdly I think actually comes from thinking about stuff in terms of, like, tabletop role playing, where, like, you will have, like, the system, which is, like, how things are resolved, how the actual game works, and the setting. And often you will have a system that can have lots of different settings. And, like, to me, often genre feels like what is the fiction... What is the fiction system like what is the fiction trying to to achieve so i i I quite like speculative fiction as like the genre in terms of like you're taking like a what if you're you're looking at the world if x which can apply to fantasy it can apply to like space stuff it can apply to the modern day whereas i think of science fiction as these days much more of a of a setting of much more of a like mm. a set of aesthetics and tropes that tend to be wrapped around genre but that's yeah. that's that's like how i tend to think of it um and obviously as with all these let's draw nice clean lines between different sorts of art and stories it's all, it's all just drawing
3: your own personal personal little boundaries you're not going to find a definitive answer, are you? Nah. It's Because I suppose genre, you kind of go... I mean, for one thing, the word genre now means sort of anything not set in the naturalistic present-day world. Or yeah. Or some things that are, but people are wizards or something.
0: Yeah, in publishing, people will be like, oh, yeah. no, that's
3: genre fiction. That's genre fiction, actually, yeah, because that guy's got a magic wand. <laughs> but yeah, it's technically, from what you're saying, Johnny, quite an interesting way to think about it is like genre is action or adventure, but science fiction isn't really a genre anymore. It's a, It's a trapping. Yeah. It's a set of descriptors well, identifiable characteristics that might contain a story that's a detective or a romance or a whatever. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Mm. I think science fiction has become such a, a misnomer to the point where it just, to branch off that, it gets tacked on a lot to just as a generic description of, well, the story has science in it and it's fiction, so therefore it's science fiction, which <laughs> can be a little misleading from that kind of understanding of sci-fi being a possible future And whatnot, especially when you're looking at things that kind of track backwards into past storylines. I think Mm. the line gets blurred a little bit there. But yeah, and I think science fiction also, depending on how you're looking at it, also is defined by showcasing not just like a possible future based on a change, but also a reflection of the culture. At the time that the story's been developed, because it's always about like what's going to happen in the future due to these problematic events now or due to an issue that has popped up and how that how that reflects later on.
3: Yeah. What if instead of communists, it was
0: monsters or similar? Or in the 80s, it's like, what will we do when fax machines get too powerful (laughs) and then explode a bomb? (laughs) Also, like, as with all these questions, like, I think that these kind of labels are often useful as descriptive shorthand. So, like, when you say, oh, this is sci fi. There's a a bunch of stuff that I'm like, okay, I know I I am therefore expecting X, Y and Z, as opposed to I find that they are often counterproductive when they are used in a sort of a prescriptive way, Mm -hmm. as if to say when you say, well, no, this label means it has to be X or Y rather than, well, you know, I've heard that this label is applied to it. So I've got these expectations.
1: Mm.
3: Do you think that's maybe a demographics thing as well? Like Hollywood producer mm. has heard, mm. the, the commission bot 9000 has heard that sci-fi <laughs> plays well now. Mm-hmm. So they look for the word sci-fi on the document and it's like, is it really science fiction? Yeah, there's like a telepathic kid in it, so sure. And it's like, oh, tick, <laughs> yeah. sci-fi. Like maybe that's what these things are all in the service mm-hmm. of. Yeah.
1: So relatedly, my next question was okay so we've discussed how science fiction heh, can be what you like really <laughs> with films
0: it's even more confi- it's even more complicated yeah. in a lot of ways because i think a lot of what i would consider the traditional like speculative fiction in terms of like exploring an idea within yeah. like a, a an alternate world or like a, a, a futuristic context or this sort of thing there's not actually a lot of that in the mainstream sci-fi mm. movies like generally you'll get it more in like the indie space with something like Primer, mm. which is weird because Primer is one of the most like purely sort of sci-fi speculative fiction in terms of what it is trying to do, which is like, hey, let's properly try and explore the idea of time travel. Turns out it's really massively confusing and weird. <laughs> uh, but the trappings are not at all what one would consider normal sci-fi. It's because it's a, a pair of modern-day inventors out of their garage and mm. creating these devices that look very normal so it's an interesting one that like to my eyes genre wise that is one of the most like science fiction
3: movies out there but you would not know it to look at it well similarly i was looking into kind of what how you would define this sort of thing and what films i count among favorites for me personally and one of the few kind of really properly textbook definition science fiction movies is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah which is a mumblecore like indie (laughs) 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 Mm rom-com with a sort of tragic bent to it and it's like you wouldn't at all go sci-fi films of the last 20 years eternal sunshine it doesn't necessarily but it but it is and if it were a novel you wouldn't question it once you'd go yeah that's a science fiction novel
0: yeah because there isn't there's quite the tradition of exploring ideas i think in the sci-fi movie compared to, like, the sci-fi short story, novella, novel, that sort of tradition. Certainly not in the last, like, 30, 40 years, I'd say. Like, Mm. you go back to the 70s and you get some really weird experimental stuff where, you know, like, Zardoz answering the question of, what if a giant floating head gave Sean Connery a gun while he was in a jockstorm? Vomited guns onto (laughs) some guys. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What are your thoughts, Kathy? You took them all.
3: <laughs> thoughts on Zardoz, pro con?
2: <laughs> I I find it interesting. It is a kind of a side a sidestep. I find it interesting how the idea of sci-fi as as a quintessential genre has changed over the years. Mm. When you're talking about like a classic sci-fi film, my brain goes back to Forbidden Planet, 1950s. Mm. One of the very first good. What I mean by good is non-B-movie sci-fi films because there are many B-movie sci-fi films back in those days. Yeah. I don't actually know much about Forbidden Planet. What's actually... I would definitely go watch it. It's maybe about an hour and a half long, hour and 45 minutes. It is one of the grandfathers of a lot of what we consider classic popular sci-fi films today. Mm. It's about... A spaceship crew that comes down to a planet to retrieve a researcher and the rest of a colony that was left there, I, I don't know, like maybe 20 years prior. And they find that there's only one survivor left oh. and his daughter. And the whole story goes forth in like figuring out why they're there by themselves and why suddenly the crew has a problem leaving. Oh, yes.
3: It's based on the uh, Tempest. I believe. Oh! Yeah, um, Forbidden Planet is is inspired by the the
0: Tempest, and like the Caliban figure is this really cool invisible monster.
2: Yes, and you
0: just sort of see yeah. the footprints going around, and at one point there's some special effect that like shows it in like energy detail. Yeah, and, like, it's like it's a really cool 60s sci fi effect. Actually, I really I really rate it.
2: Mm-hmm. That one moment is a very fluid animation. That is, mm. I don't know, it, it gives off a lot of like. Animation vibes from like in the eighties when you had that combination of animation and live action kind of meshed together for a time, but there's so many tropes and ideas that are established in Forbidden Planet that go on to show up in Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, you name it. Transporters, certain borrowed props, special effects.
0: It really sets the look of like yeah sci-fi for the rest of the century.
3: Yeah, I know they reused a load of props from Forbidden Planet for various episodes of The Twilight Zone, which being like mm-hmm. a ginormously popular show at its time, I imagine mm-hmm. that also bled through and created this incredibly influential aesthetic just by accident because they went, oh, we need a spaceship. Oh, there's one on the back a lot. We'll use that. What was this in? A Forbidden Planet or something. I don't know. Can't remember.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that robot
3: suit's cool. Let's use that. And it's because they haven't got any money because it's television in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love
0: recycled props, like, mm. periodically. Weirdly, like, the soldier armour from Starship Troopers mm. oh, yeah. keeps cropping up in <laughs> low-budget in low budget sci-fi shows. Oh, nice. Because they've clearly just got it, got a mm. whole bunch of them, still in a prop warehouse somewhere. And so whenever they're, they're like, oh, yeah, we need some, like, military-looking dudes in space... It's like here, have the have the old Starship
3: Troopers armor. Beautiful. <laughs> they must have had made so many of them because there's a lot of shot. They don't all look like digital compositions either. Like they must have mm-hmm. made dozens of those yeah. things, and they're quite generic. Yeah, that's mm. a <laughs> free cycle. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And obviously, this is back
0: in the day where, like, if you had a lot of extras dressed a certain way, what that meant is you had a lot of costumes left over.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they just
0: film one guy and then duplicate yeah. him. <laughs>
3: Did
1: you play four
0: thousand times? Also, from what I've heard, a lot of the stuff that they make props out of these days degrades a lot faster than the stuff. I I could be I could be talking completely my ass for this, but yeah, i I I think modern props degrade faster than old ones, but I could be. You know what? You know what? I don't I I I don't even remember where I heard that, so did
3: you dream this, Johnny? (laughs) I might have. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows?
1: Is our thesis then that one of the things that makes a good sci-fi film is how many props from it get reused in the future. <laughs> yeah,
0: in,
3: in low-budget
0: television programmes. Yeah. Well, to be fair, if that's the case, then almost all period dramas are also amazing sci-fi films. Yes. Yeah, true.
1: Because <laughs> the number
0: of, like, Elizabethan dresses in
3: Hollywood is, like, three.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's because they take so long to make. It's very, very complex. And very expensive.
3: Space soldier, future guy, easy. Yeah. Elizabethan lady of the manor, incredibly difficult.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I mean, what else? What else a more serious bent makes a good sci-fi film?
3: My answer is sort of dull, but it's just what I would say about any film, which is like the human element of it. Like mm. And by human, I mean any humanoid thinking creature. The person element. You know, especially with sci-fi, it could be an alien. Yeah, it could be a robot, could be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But it's, you know, characters with interesting personalities that interact in interesting ways with other characters. Stories that come from character and jokes that ideally also come from character. Some degree of sort of humour of some kind. Mm. Nothing too po-faced, in my opinion. That's more subjective, I suppose. But also I, what I was realised was also... I think a key thing is taking the core idea, even if you're not going down the conventional one key scientific idea route, whatever your sort of central plot idea is or interesting reality or time-bending idea, whatever it might be, and like really live it with some kind of commitment
1: mm-hmm. and
3: invest some screen time and script time into how will people react to this. And I've got one specific example, which is only because I've watched it recently, but has anyone seen Timeless?
2: No. Which I believe is on UK
3: Netflix. But it's a kind of a sort of uh, transcontinental Doctor Who kind of thing where like uh, they wanted to do a time travel type story but in Timeless specifically it's, it's historical events. But I think the first episode suffers really badly from like being edited down from maybe a feature-length pilot to a forty-five minute episode. Mm. Mm. Cause your central team is, you know, science, it's it's a straight out of central casting, like sci-fi movie main characters. You've got the the female lead who's like a historian, you've got a military guy who's there to be the muscle, and you've got a nerd guy who's there to keep track of the um like machines, basically. So the the female historian lead... I think because of some harsh edits, essentially her introduction to like, we've got time travel is like, cool. And and you go, <laughs> and it's like, sort of ruins the entire first episode because you go, hang on. This is your entire life's work. Understanding history. You can go there now. Yeah, cool. What? Wow. That's crazy. Anyway, let's go.
1: <laughs> that's ridiculous. I kind of respect that as a reaction. <laughs> yeah, I well, like that. Imagine being that unfazed. But would you do that? <laughs> if you no, time but shape. the fact that someone could is so wild that I'm like, yeah, I want to see what kind of person that is.
3: I, I find it hard to relate to that person
1: who's <laughs> <was> just like, <laughs>
3: well, really. Anyway, That's where we going? Interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, maybe. I mean, I, but to my mind, I think that would fall under like. I, I I really feel like it. You when you watch it, you, the firstly the edits are incredibly quick. It's like expositional line, expositional mm. line, establishing shot. In we go. So you can really feel like they were up against it with cutting it down. I see. And I feel like maybe her, well, and the other main characters, sort of arcs of going a, a real time machine of, of like just gone. <laughs> and you go, am I meant to be <laughs> impressed by this or not? In this world, it's kind of hard to tell. Anyway,
0: I have obviously like Tom's answer about like good writing is Um, the real answer. Good writing is the answer. (laughs) But I would say what for me makes a good sci-fi movie is when the technology is wet or when it goes (laughs) (laughs) and releases a bunch of
3: steam. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, well, we'll get back to that when we discuss my favourite sci-fi.
0: I like it when the technology feels very physical. Mm -mm. And often that means that, like, it'll be rained on or like i don't know you you think about those corridors in alien where like you're on a spaceship why is everything dripping but yeah, it is yeah. and that yeah. makes it feel very real and very like kind of industrial and lived in and yeah, yeah i like it when the the technology's wet or when <laughs> there's steam on it i like that yeah. that's
3: cool to me i can't remember who who said this it was either you know some great sci-fi theorist or it was just a friend of mine when i was young I uh, can't remember. I mean, when when you are young, all your friends are great sci-fi theorists. Oh my God, so deep, man. Thank you so much for saying that really insightful thing. The, yeah, that kind of that's your outlook basically at that age. Yeah, but someone defined it as you know the the empty box of Chinese takeaway on the spinner dashboard in Blade Runner basically is like mm. yeah. you know it, the lived in sci-fi
1: thoughts on the texture of machinery, Kathy.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh, on machinery. Well, everything I have is a, is a tangent. I love a bit of techno babble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's debatable, but, I, you know, you can present me all the technology down the corridor, but if you can give me some wild explanation for why it's there or what it does with just a little bit of science truth in it, I, I'm sold. I don't know. <laughs> so something about having that full explanation just delivered at length. For me, that's like a partial immersion into the, oh, yeah, I see. I appreciate it. I I will now buy into your narrative because you've at least tried to add some logic to this science fiction layout that you've given. Never mind the fact that we can tell from your prop that you've used three different electrical plugs and maybe two slider bars from an audio desk. No, 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 it's all right. I will suspend (laughs) my disbelief. We're good. Just look at it. That is a
1: toaster. (laughs) And a Lego Millennium
3: Falcon on the side.
2: Yes. (laughs)
0: as opposed to something like Looper, which explicitly is like, hey, don't think too hard about the time travel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, there's literally a
0: guy in Looper who's like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's boss, who's like, don't think so much about the time travel. I can't even keep it
3: straight. I think, yeah. I, I, I think it is Bruce Willis as well says this. And it's about... He's talking about the memories thing, which I think I, that that I forgive because it's like yeah, what, what is the effect of mechanical time travel on a wet human brain? Mm. Like, who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, what yeah. would it be? But yeah. it's, yeah. But also what I liked about Looper was this idea that they've got time travel, but it's awful. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's just like a washing what machine do you do that, you that? that you shove an assassin in and then he turns up exactly, is it 30 years earlier? And they can't mm. control it. Oh, no, no, no. They, they The victims, they, no, they loop the victims. They send ah, the victims right. back. Oh, no, yeah, 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 that's right. Not an assassin. They send the... That's it. And that's why Bruce. Of course it is because that's why Bruce Willis turns up. Yeah. Spoiler alert for Looper <laughs> <laughs> if anyone doesn't know the premise of Looper. Oh, there's one other thing. There's one other thing
0: that makes a, a sci-fi film really good and that's greebling. Are you do, do you know do you know greebling? No. What's
1: greebling? No.
0: The guy that Han Solo shot in A New Hope. Well, oh, no, I mean to be fair, both the Millennium Falcon and the death star have loads of greebling on them. Mm-hmm. Greebling is that thing where on a flat sci-fi surface like on the outside of like a, a big building or a spaceship they put lots of like uneven little bits and oh. bobs <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah. little just details that like aren't really anything mm. they're just there to give the surface texture and that's called greebling.
3: Why is why are these ridges here? Are they here to make the death star like less aerodynamic? Yeah, And I love it. I love greebling.
0: Everything looks better if it like it listener <laughs> Just Google Greebling, G-R-E-E-B-L-I-N-G, question mark. Mm. Just Google it and it's it's great. I love it.
1: <laughs> and while, audience, you are Googling Greebling, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a second. And welcome back. Okay, so we've discussed what what sci-fi is and what is cool about it and so now we're going to get into the meat of the question not the meat of the episode what are your favorite sci-fi films tell me about them tell me why you like them
3: maybe the meat of the episode could be soylent green
1: that's not my answer it's good
3: but that wasn't what i was all right. Yeah, it's all right right. you just kept saying meat so i that's what came to mind
1: (laughs) it's because johnny's here
3: (laughs) mr meat himself yeah (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Soylent 1997. They call him Johnny Meaty Sims. Uh,
3: Silent Sims, they call him. Uh, <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> it's really nice to have a professional on here,
1: Kathy. Let's let's move away from these terrible boys, Kathy.
2: You and me, tell me your favourite sci-fi. F- <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. I've got a soft spot for sci-fi comedies. When they pop up, Ooh. I love them. I love them a bits. I love Galaxy Quest. I love... <gasps> That's so good. I think Paul's really nice. I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, well, naturally. Well, naturally. But also the, the TV <laughs> series that preceded the movie as well was brilliant mm. and wonky. So many 80s movies that went down that trajectory of weird science. Mm. You know, from Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Bill and Ted's, all those, just wonderful. <laughs> if I was to look at something non-comedy, I did recently watch a series of shorts called "The World of Tomorrow" by Don Hertzfeldt. I think I'm saying that. correctly Oh
3: crippling. right, yeah, I know know it. yes,
2: it's an. They're a series of animated shorts made over the course of oh, probably three years total, I think. They get dark, but <laughs> that's never happened in sci-fi before. <laughs> what, it... you
3: mean dark from Don, My Anus Is Bleeding, Hurt starts.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> that's
3: a different movie. There's it's a... uh, yeah. <laughs> the more famous one, I think.
1: Is, is the movie called My What is no. it's
3: uh, it's the uh, rejected ads I think it's called rejected yes. adverts which was a oh, okay. that was the one that I guess went viral but kind of before that was the thing I suppose it was very popular yeah
2: yeah back in the early two thousands yeah 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 bunch of a- rejected animated shorts for for hypothetical big companies that then the animation kind of took over itself I see what I love about this series of shorts a that they are shorts. Which, after Lord of the Rings kind of made the presence of, uh, made it known to Hollywood that, hey, people will sit for like a three hour long movie. Mm. That I think a lot of sci-fi movies have kind of like gets into a big long drama that you got to sit two and a half hours for. And there's so much that you can tell with sci-fi elements in it in just a short time period. And I think that gets mm. kind of lost. So it's kind of refreshing to watch a short that goes into his whole universe. Mm. But more fascinating is that what the creator did is, it's it's a series of three. And the first one, he took a recording of his niece's ramblings, who's like four years old at the time, and made a story out of the babblings that his four-year-old niece was making. Oh, that's great. And it's wonderful. And then the second episode is the continuation of that first episode and it's the ramblings of his niece when she was five.
3: Oh nice. Oh.
2: Except it got so much more complicated within that one <laughs> year between age four and age five that it took him three it took him three times as long to get the second episode done. I think mm. it took like a year and a half to kind of piece together, produce, write, animate, etc. And then the third one is trying to tie the universe that basically his niece made at this young age, <laughs> piece it together and kind of jump into the fallout of what happened with all the elements that happened in episodes one and two. Oh. It is very nice. I say it's dark because there's a lot of time travel and there's a lot of themes of mortality and immortality. Mm. And if you can live forever, how cheap life suddenly becomes. mm Tom, what's your favourite sci-fi film?
3: Uh, now, I thought about this long and hard. It's like, uh, it's hard to say. I think probably the best sci-fi film ever made is Alien because it is the best film ever made that is a science fiction film, <laughs> if that definition oh, makes sense, oh, oh. in that it's just okay. an incredible film. Like, like It's so tight and taut and the characterisation is beautiful and... It's just fantastic. It stands up so incredibly well in terms of its design, music, acting, everything.
1: I found that Alien often comes up. Yeah. Do you not think it's more of a horror film?
3: Now, this is an interesting question because, again, I was thinking about this when I was looking up, you know, oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is is an absolute copper-bottomed classic sci-fi plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Alien is a haunted house film in space. But mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess I would say, yes, it is a science fiction film or a sci-fi horror, if you want to go into subgenres. Because if you take the textbook definition you're saying this is a future where humanity is exploring new uncharted planes. Yeah. So whereas like you might have met a tiger as a sort of trader or trucker on a clipper ship in the fifteenth century and gone, What's that? Like now you're seeing the xenomorph and going, Whoa, what's that? in space in a space clipper ship. So I think yes, it does count because it's taking a sort of scientific advancement, or a point in humanity's future that follows a specific thing, and also, mm. crucially, it has that kind of classic science fiction corporate dystopian element to it mm. in terms of like where human human society is going. Because it's because of Wayland Utani that they can't obey the quarantine rules and they can't behave yeah. responsibly. It's 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 all Wayland yutani trying to acquire the Xenomorph. Mm. So I I would say yes, it does count, even if yes. The way in which it's a great film is the way in which it's horror, I suppose, primarily. Yeah.
0: You know, this is where this is where the patented Johnny Sims classification method really comes into its own. Here we go. Because we go. I can very easily say, well, as a genre, it's a horror movie. <laughs>
3: But the setting is science fiction. It's science fiction, actually. Yeah, and the more Mm. you think it doesn't make sense, does it? Because there's not one sci-fi aesthetic or plot or tone, is there? So Mm. Spaceballs and Alien technically are in the same and have John Hurt (laughs) playing the same character in them both. So that's (laughs) actually too close an example, if anything. No, aliens, fantastic.
0: Like again, yeah. strong example of my wet technology thesis. Very mm-hmm. much, yeah. Yep. Because everything's very physical. Everything's dripping. Why is it dripping? Mm. I don't know. Surely the water is important to not be dripping in a closed, the
3: closed <laughs> environment <laughs> of a spaceship. But you know, yeah, it's,
0: it's just it's just leaking down
3: everywhere. It's all over the shop. Well, it's it's the future, and we've mastered you know light speed interstellar travel. But we we haven't mastered like a boiler. But like you still need a bath in the morning, and so you have to have a boiler. And sometimes those pipes leak, hence steam and condensation develops. Mm-hmm. So, I love Alien as well, because it is
0: something you don't actually see super often, which is a working-class sci-fi. Yeah, completely. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. every, all the characters are, like blue collar they they are truckers like they are yeah. they are there to maintain and look after this big mining ship and like there's like i think ash the android is like the closest thing to like a scientific professional mm. Mm. it's interesting if you chart the sort of the progression of like the alien uh, stuff to prometheus mm. which is much more of a I was about to say much more of a middle class crew, which mm. I felt very silly for saying, but actually it's true. Yeah, it The is. Prometheus crew is, uh, it's it's like the alien crew, but everyone's middle class professionals who
3: uh, want to do some science. Mm. There's a geologist. He likes rocks. There's that guy, yeah. classic character, you know, a biologist probably. I don't remember. There's a couple. I think they have sex in the shower at the end in a real like 11th hour Hail Mary nudity. Probably. It's It's been a long time. I'll be honest, Prometheus did not stick with me. Yeah, it's not It's not great. I mean, like, yeah. But I think that is one reason. I think what you're describing there as well, I think you can make a really interesting comparison with another contender for favourite sci-fi, which is another film that also could be called a horror instead, which is The Thing.
1: The Thing! Mm. Ooh, The yeah. Thing!
3: Which is one of my maybe top fives of all time. Top ten, definitely. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, The Thing is... I was trying to decide whether to say the thing as my
3: favourite sci-fi movie, yeah, because it is straight up just like my favourite movie, or like mm. right up there. Oh man, yeah, absolutely, it's it's astonishing. But also, I think maybe that you can say it's sci-fi. I think because, of course, there's the mistrust and the shape-shifting element, which is science fiction. Mm. No one's <laughs> that good with a makeup kit. Also, it's an alienum. Yeah, it's an alienum. But if you want to take the sort of does the sci-fi thing, is it only setting or does it affect the story? It does. Partly, again, because it's kind of virus-like mass reproduction is the reason they can't let it get away from the base, which also sort of drives the plot. So I think, yes, it is sci-fi, true blue. It asks the question, what would the world be like... If
0: there was an horrible shape-shifting monster which could look like you That's right. and then didn't yeah. look like you and looked like you but with a big mouth where your head was and you were chomping <laughs> on a guy and he was like, ah, ah And Kurt Ross <laughs> was trying to get the flamethrower going but it wasn't going. Yeah. And oh.
3: it Reviled in the paramedic community, that <laughs> film. Yeah. As what if go. <laughs> yeah. Rapid response. Healthcare professionals just hate it. Oh, I need to rewatch The Thing. But so I think you can make an interesting study of the thing and the I think it's 2011 uh, remake slash prequel to the thing because
1: mm-hmm.
3: the thing it's a film it's a film about men guys being dudes as they say
1: <laughs> <laughs> just guys being dudes with a couple of dogs
3: yeah it's about it's about dudes rocking in the snow again kind of a working class sci fi movie I suppose there there's a lot of doctors professionals you know like. Uh, soldiers, pilots, people who might be in kind of yeah. slightly more middle class or possibly professions. But it is that it is all pitched as, like, yeah, like, it's got a very blue-collar vibe. Yeah, yeah, very much so. They're just doing, they're working their nickel, you know, they're working their shift, and it sucks. It's awful, mm. and they hate it, and it's really lonely and boring, and they're a bunch of sweaty, frustrated men, yep, like, who just desperately want to have a break and go home it seems to be when they're at their least patient that this awful thing <laughs> strikes. And so it's just a bunch of guys making really bad decisions because they're tired and lonely and angry and they're running out of whiskey. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Johnny, is it fair to say that The Thing is your favourite sci-fi film?
0: It's my favourite film. I would say that my favourite sci-fi film, I mean, it's, it's probably Robocop. I had Robocop oh, on my list yeah. too. Robocop's Ooh, stunning. That's nice. Because uh, Robocop really, in terms of speculative fiction, it mm. asks the question of what if a policeman was a robot,
1: <coughs> but also
3: a man, you know? If you're not familiar with the premise, it's he's part man, part machine, but simultaneously... All cop. He is all cop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all cop, mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just a perfect
0: movie.
1: Mm.
0: It's brilliant. In the sense, to me, a perfect movie is a is a movie that cannot achieve what it is going for, better than it does Mm. Mm. and like Robocop is going for some stuff
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) like
0: Paul Verhoeven is not a subtle
3: director what do Uh, you mean (laughs) (laughs) a board game played by children called Newcomb, where you uh, practice global thermonuclear (laughs) with your family advertised on telly with cheering Americans I don't know what you mean I'd buy that for a dollar
0: (laughs) but it's oh it's just really good. Also, it has it's one of those movies where like I realized gradually how much of a favourite it was of mine because like back in the days when, you know, people watched T V with <laughs> like loads of channels, mm. periodically late at night flicking through, any time I flicked onto something and Robocop was there, didn't matter at what point it was, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm watching Robocop till the end of
3: Robocop. <laughs> yeah. Predator's uh. sort of similar actually. I think it's hard to not be in the mood. Mm.
2: Can I just say thank you very much for this play-by-play reminder of RoboCop because I have a bad (laughs) habit of... No, 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 no. Honestly, genuinely, I have this bad habit of superimposing similar things on top of each other. So somewhere in my past, I have gotten RoboCop and the Terminator kind of fused together into one movie. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now I got to go back and watch it again.
0: I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that I could broadly shot for shot just tell robocop as a story <laughs> like when that guy dips his fingers in when clown sticks his fingers in that guy's wine and puts it up his nose for some reason yeah <laughs> he's like yes. ah. miguel he's Perez just... reaching for the grenade he's reaching for the grenade
1: yeah. <laughs> i've never seen robocop so all of this is just the wildest thing i've ever heard
0: yeah it's why does he do it nobody knows
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god Right. Oh. Well, I was going to round us off on a final question, but we're we're really running over. Tell you what, I will do. We will do the last.
0: Also, I love Dark City. If you haven't seen Dark City, watch Dark City. Well, oh, I haven't seen Dark City. Thank you. Yes, watch that's Dark
3: on the City. List. Yeah.
1: Okay. Nice. I'm going to ask what I hope will be a fairly quick question, yeah. which is: Is there an upcoming sci-fi film that anyone is excited about?
3: No. There we go. That's ah.
1: quick. <laughs> that's like nice. perfect.
0: I mean actually also no because i'm at i'm really bad at keeping up
3: with upcoming films i'm always getting surprised <laughs> i'm sure there's a bunch to be fair I think I saw an interesting yeah. one called Chariot. I'll, ru- I'll give you a quick rundown of some research I did earlier, very quickly. Chariot is a film okay. that's coming up starring John Malkovich with an interesting premise. It looks like it might get you wrapped up in its own nonsense. But the trailer was very interesting until a woman <laughs> turned up doing the worst English accent I've ever heard. Oh, no. Spider-Verse 2 Part 1 is, is a sci-fi film, I guess. It's all about <laughs> multiverses. Spider-Verse is maybe the third or fourth best superhero film ever made. Oh, it's great.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. After The Incredibles Rocketeer and Mask of the Phantasm. But... uh
2: <laughs> <laughs> strong ah, okay.
3: yeah that's well listen I, I'll stand by that I'll stand by that
0: if you want to do another enthusiasm on Batman the animated series oh, Helen. oh god yeah Sorry. absolutely yeah, yeah. any
3: yeah. any, <laughs> time anywhere <laughs> 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 yes
1: please
3: but I, lo- I love Spider-Verse so much I worry about it being stretched out beyond its welcome and mm-hmm. getting franchised to death like everything yeah. else we'll wait and see And I think Lightyear will be loads of fun, even though it's not the most exciting prospect ever. Mm, I'm still like, Pixar are some of the best people in the world at making films, and if they're going to make a fun sci-fi romp, I will be there to watch it.
2: Mm -hmm. What about you, Kathy? Of the lineup that's coming down the pipeline, I would also say Lightyear. I don't know what to expect from it, but the more I see the trailers, the more I'm catching on to... Yeah, somebody or m- maybe the entire department is in in animation or in storyboarding definitely has a sci-fi background. And they definitely went in mm. to do their research, both in fiction and fact, because um, you've got uh, certain shots that they're throwing out there in the trailer of like the launches and the mechanics It very much it, it gives off some Uh, NASA vibes from some of the recent launches. I see. And a lot of the shots that they're previewing, there's one that kind of reminds you a little bit of Dagobah from Star Wars. There's another shot (laughs) that looks eerily like something out of Space Above and Beyond, which is a 90s sci-fi TV series. And still more that kind of looks like it could be related to Halo shots a little bit. Mm. So it's like, it's all over. It's like, you know what? This looks like it could be a fun easter egg basket of like little sci-fi goodies for for the nerds out there so for that alone i'm looking forward to to seeing that one
0: i like the idea i quite like that it's it's a like a pg-13 i really actually want them to go a little bit further and make it a hard r to (laughs) reference the fact that certainly in my in my youth a lot of the coveted children's toys were for movies that were Thoroughly inappropriate. Yeah, aliens. <laughs> there were aliens action figures, and of course there yeah. yeah, were RoboCop. Like yeah. you got loads yeah. of
3: RoboCop merchandise, and I'm like, remember when Buzz Lightyear <laughs> shot that guy's dick off in Lightyear? Like, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh,
3: and God. so i there's a part of me that like I really love the idea that in Toy
0: Story, Buzz Lightyear is an action figure for like a really dark gritty sci-fi movie (laughs) that has been inexplicably marketed to children
3: what what if like we've got kind of like references to maybe dagobah you know Mm. i imagine there may be a sort of a hoth analog maybe even some sort of halo-esque looking stuff what if you go through all that stuff and you think oh what what's going on here and at the very end of the film, a guy comes out, you know, from the shadows and it's Bruce Willis. And this film is also in the Unbreakable universe. <laughs> or the Fifth Element universe. Oh, oh, well, now that's a different story. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm in.
1: <laughs> it is a story that we cannot go into oh, now. Jane. Ah. But I am interested in it. And listener, you can ponder it and write your own version of what might happen in that film. Thank you for... Listening to us talk about so many things.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sci fi movies, right? Just all the way through. As much as 20% of it, probably usable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This podcast is 12 minutes long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And thank you very, very much to you, my lovely guests, for coming on the show. This has actually been a lot of fun. I've laughed a lot. So I will see you in the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it is goodbye from then. Do you all want to say goodbye? Bye.
3: Bye. Goodbye. I love (laughs) you.
1: Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. It is directed by Helen Gould... Produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Broom, and Catherine Minella. Thanks for listening.